0: And so we begin to see as God reveals himself through these plagues that it is all about God and his glory. Last week we looked at that very first plague, that, the plague of turning the Nile River water into blood. And we talked, talked last week about how the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. They made gods out of the Nile itself. And so God, God chooses the Nile to begin... To begin showing his glory to the Egyptians, Moses turns the, the water of the Nile, all the water, really, not just what we find in the Nile, but all of the water in Egypt turns to blood All the water, the canals, the ponds, the reservoirs, even it says the the, the stone and wooden jars and cups that they had on the counter all turns to blood and pharaoh once again calls his advisors his counselors his magicians and they can add to the blood they also are able to turn water into blood and i said last week more blood two weeks ago we said more snakes is not better more blood is not better the magicians are not, able, are not able to make it any better. They're just able to add to the dilemma. And when Pharaoh sees all of this, he sees all of this judgment, he sees all of this blood, and his heart remains hardened, Moses tells us in Exodus. Last week, though, we ended, and I, I hope that you saw hope in this, that in the midst of God bringing down judgment, on the midst of God proclaiming judgment and and, and defeating the gods of the Egyptians, in the midst of that, God shows grace. The Egyptians are thirsty. The Egyptians need something to drink. For seven days, the river is blood. For seven days, the water is blood, and the Egyptians need something to drink. And so it tells us, in, in Exodus chapter 7, that they're able to dig along the edge of the Nile River and they're able to find water to drink. Now, God already, God has, has turned the, the, the Nile into blood. He turned the reservoirs into blood. He turned the canals into blood. He turned the, the ponds into blood. He turned the drinking cups into blood. He turned everything into blood. He could have turned the groundwater, the water that's dug into the ground along the riverbank, that could have been blood as well. And yet God, in his grace, provided something for the Egyptians to drink. They dig along the Nile and they're able to find find some hope, find some grace. Seven days, seven days, the Nile River is blood. And then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 8. We're going to start reading in in verse 1. Again, it's page Page 50, if you're going to use a pew Bible this morning, but let's read together about this second plague that comes in Exodus chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs and shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same with their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for the people that the frogs will be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did, according to the word of Moses The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. For seven days, the Nile water has been blood. For seven days, the people have dug along the edge of the Nile, finding the groundwater so that they had something to drink. And for seven days, I think, Moses has been, or Moses, Pharaoh has been holed up in his palace. Pharaoh was not out digging alongside the Nile River, getting water to drink. Pharaoh was having water brought to him while he waited in his palace far away far away from the bloody river, far away from all of the blood that was found in the canals and the rivers and the streams, far away from the judgment that God had put on the Egyptians in that first plague. Moses, or Pharaoh, again, Pharaoh was trying to hide away from it. He was barely, probably, inconvenienced by it. And so we come to round two. God gives Moses another set of instructions and he starts it just as he has all the way through. He starts it with power, thus says the Lord. And God's command does not change. Let my people go that they may serve me. God's commands change. Do not change. We've seen it from the very beginning. God has said, let my people go so that they might serve me, so that they might worship me, so that, they, so that their work, their service might not be any longer to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, but that their work might be for me. This is all about me. It's all about my glory. Thus says the Lord. Let my people go that they may serve me. And then he tells Moses, Say this as well. But if you refuse to let my people go, behold. Behold. That that word in in Hebrew, I'm told by commentators, that word is, is behold, sounds so puny compared to what it really is. Behold is more of a more of a shout, more of a scream that says, Look out! Something is going to happen. Be careful. Watch out. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. I will plague all your country with frogs. Even that word plague has a, has a, a, a littler feel to us than what it really is supposed to. This, this word, this plague word, is, is about smite. It's about a. a, a punishing blow that gets delivered by an almighty God. Too often, I think, we think of these plagues as inconveniences. But there were so much more than that. God says to Moses, this is what you need to go tell Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, let my people go, as I've always said, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to do that, watch out. Because I am going to deliver a punishing blow against your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. He's pretty graphic in the way that he describes what's going to happen. Swarm, even, the word swarm is the same word in in Hebrew again, commentators say, that the same word swarm is the word that's used back in, in Genesis chapter one as God begins to create the world. It says that the, he creates the, the, the heavens and the earth, he, he separates the water from the land, and then as he cre- starts to create living beings, he, he creates living beings that then swarm into the, into the seas and into the water. That's the idea here. A God, the Lord over all creation, the one who, who made the initial swarm that happened in Genesis chapter 1, He's in charge of all the swarms and he's bringing a swarm here to Exodus from the Nile. These plagues, all of these plagues are are, are the God of creation showing his power over creation by doing a reversal of creation. So instead of Creating water, he turns it into blood. Instead of, instead of having a swarm of, of, of amphibians into the water, he brings them out of the water. He shows his power over creation by a, by a reversal of sorts of creation. And he comes directly against, I said this a little bit last week, but he comes directly against the gods of the Egyptians. The Nile was the lifeblood. Of the Egyptians. In fact, they had several gods that they had made out of uh, of the Nile, and we talked about that a little bit last week. And so God comes directly against the Nile River, against their gods, against the main lifeblood of of the country. God comes against what, what seems most or of at least vital importance to the Egyptians. He comes directly against that, and he does that again here. The Egyptians the Egyptians worshipped, worshipped the Nile. He turns it into blood. Pharaoh attempted to use the Nile as a weapon early on in Exodus, back in chapter 1, when he, when he attempts to, to kill the babies, have the babies thrown into the Nile when Moses is first rescued. He, Pharaoh attempts to use it as a weapon, and God uses it now. He turns it and uses it as a weapon against Pharaoh. And the same idea happens here with the frogs. The Egyptians Egyptians worshipped frogs as well as the Nile. Not in exactly the same way. There was not as many frog gods or goddesses as there was to the Nile. But there was a frog goddess. Her name was, was Heket. There's even an illustration of it I have for for you to look at on the screen. The the Egyptians worshipped this goddess who had a human body but a frog head. Looks like a beautiful goddess that you would want to worship, doesn't it? But there's pictures, there's art of this found in in ancient Egypt. Heket was the name of this Egyptian goddess. She was supposedly married to to the god Kunum who was the creator god for the Egyptians. And the story is that that Kunim was a potter, um, a a creator. And so he had a a potting wheel, a clay potting wheel, and he would create on that wheel the different creations for for all the world, for all all creatures. And he would create them, and and they were lifeless. They were just just clay pots. And then his wife, Hecate, the frog-headed lady would come and then she would breathe life into those clay creations and it would, they would then come to life and enter into the world. The two of them combined, he would, he would create, he would build, she would breathe life into the creations and together they were the god and goddess over, over the creation of life. She was worshipped as a goddess of fertility, specifically of fertility and childbirth. So there was, a, there was a rule, there was a law that they couldn't kill any frogs. You never were to kill a frog because the frog represented and reminded them of the goddess Hecate. Frogs would have been important in the Egyptian culture at this time. Just as, as Pharaoh used the Nile as a weapon against the Hebrews, and God turns the Nile in attacks directly the weapon that they used previously. Another weapon that was used against the Hebrews back in, in Exodus 1 and 2 was, was childbirth, was the midwives. Pharaoh goes to the midwives, tells them to kill the children of the Hebrew babies before he has them thrown into the Nile. And so it's no wonder, it should not surprise us at all, that God would come and attack the Nile early and, and the frogs... Secondly, to say, these gods that you have worshipped, these gods that you have used as weapons, these things that you have used as weapons against my people, I will show you who's really in charge. And so, the Nile turns to blood and frogs begin to swarm. He tells Moses, tell Pharaoh that if you refuse to obey this swarm of frogs is going to come from the Nile. They're going to come into your house, into your bedroom, into your bed, into your houses of your servants and your people, under your ovens, into your kneading bowls. They're going to come up on you and on your people and on your servants. And that's exactly what happens. The frogs begin to swarm. We don't have Pharaoh's response, but we can tell his Response as they brought this to him must have been, I'm not going to let your people go. And so, exactly what happens the frogs begin to swarm. They swarm into the house and in the bedroom and in the beds and in the servants and on the people and in the ovens and in the kneading bowls. And they even begin to swarm up on Pharaoh, on him, on you. They will swarm. Moses says, God tells Moses to say. Moses, I I keep saying Moses, Pharaoh, I think Pharaoh was inconvenienced, maybe a little, by the Nile turning into blood. But had lots of people, had lots of servants, had lots of, of those that could dig the groundwater up and provide him drinking water while he holed up in his palace away from the major inconvenience. But here, it's evident that God says to Moses, these frogs, they are going to affect Pharaoh. He's not going to be able to keep them away. He's not going to be able to to, to close off the doors of his palace and keep the frogs out. I'm sure he tried. I'm sure he had. I'm sure he had his servants that, that that had blocked off as the frogs began to come. They probably put up some kind of partitions to try to block off Pharaoh's house. They had the doors closed. He. I'm sure he was using the Hebrew slaves in whatever ways he could to keep the frogs from getting in to his home. But the frogs were everywhere. They couldn't be stopped. They not only made it into the palace, but they make it all the way into the bedroom. And they not only make it into the bedroom, but they make it into the bed. They're everywhere. They continue to pile out of the rivers and the canals and the pools. Any kind of body of water that there was that had previously, previously been turned into blood, now those same bodies of water... Maybe, even, who knows, maybe they didn't even ever have frogs in them before this. But now the frogs are pouring out of every body of water. And Pharaoh once again calls his advisors. He once again calls his counselors and says, What can you do about this? And so they go to work. They bring their secret arts. They go to work and they make more frogs. Once again, they add to the dilemma. Once again, just as more snakes is not better, more blood is not better, more frogs are not better. More frogs are not better. And the frogs, they, they, they just begin to pile up. I think, they're, I think they're absolutely everywhere. Some commentators, as they talk about this, they talk about how, how this story is, is, is almost comical in the way that, that it's written in Exodus chapter eight, that that they talk about these fun-loving little frogs that get inside your, you know, you find, you find a frog in your bed and then a frog in your, in your oven and, and there's even a frog in your kneading bowl. And we're to, to giggle about it and laugh about it because, you know, frogs, they're not, they're not that bad and they're not like snakes. Snakes are horrible. It's not like... St- stinky, thick, rich blood that we found in the Nile. This is just a little frog. It's no big deal. But I don't think that's really the picture. I don't think they found a frog in the oven. I think it was teeming with frogs. I don't think they pulled back their sheets and found one little tiny frog hopping around. I think it was covered in frogs. I think as they looked at the ground, there was no place to step because there was frogs everywhere. Anywhere they went, when they they opened up a cupboard that had been closed all along, there's no way a frog could be in there. They opened it up and there was not a frog, there was frogs. Lots of them, everywhere. And I think it's to remind us, I think as we try to get that picture, I think we need to be reminded of, of the total pervasiveness of sin. It doesn't just show up as a as a light and easy cute little frog that we can hold in our hands and admire the cuteness. They're everywhere. Too often we see sin like that as a light and easy as a natural thing. It's it's uncomplicated. It's it's possibly even comical. Until it becomes overwhelming. It's invasive and and it becomes inescapable, and there's nowhere for us to hide from it. We We can't put up enough barriers. We can't hold up inside anything to escape from our sin. It affects everything around us, it's part of everything around us. And it even begins to wrap its tentacles around us itself. I think that's what God is saying when he says, these frogs, they're going to be found in your oven. They're going to be found in your kneading bowls. They're going to be on you. You will not escape from these frogs. We cannot escape. We cannot escape from sin as it gathers up around us. The more we attempt to escape in our own ways, we're just like the magicians. The more we try to escape by our own devices we fail miserably and we add to the dilemma and more sin is not better Frogs were everywhere I don't know if they were small frogs or giant toads I don't know how sticky or slimy they were I don't I, you know when you hold a frog they always Slime you, pee on you. I don't even know what it is that they do. But can you imagine? They're everywhere. They're doing that everywhere. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh, finally in this in this story, you know, I think he I think he turned his back. He he hardened his heart. He turned his back. He held himself up after the first plague. But this time, he can't escape. And Pharaoh finally knows that he's been beaten. He finally knows that there's nothing that he can do. His magicians are only making, making matters worse by making more frogs when, when there's already an unbelievable amount of frogs anyway. He has to have some kind of, of relief. There has to be somewhere that he can go to get rid of these frogs. And so he calls Moses and Aaron back and he says, he says, plead with the Lord. And you can even see in your Bible there, the Lord is... is in, in verse 8, it's, it's all caps. Plead with Yahweh. Do you remember Pharaoh's response the first time he's confronted with that word? The first time that Moses comes and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. Do you remember Pharaoh's response? Who is this Lord that I should obey him? Now, 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 Pharaoh comes to Moses and he says, plead with the Lord or plead with your Lord, he says, to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let your people go and sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh's previous response was, who is this God? And now he sees that this God is the only rescuer, the only hope that he has. Plead with the Lord has become a cry for a cry for rescue and an admission by Pharaoh of defeat. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's momentary inconvenience has now brought about from him a tepid cry for relief. But it's not a cry of repentance and it's not even a plea for redemption, just a cry for rescue. It's knowledge of God its knowledge of his, in this situation has brought about a knowledge and a recognition, but not a repentance. So Moses hears Pharaoh's plea and leads. In fact, he, he, he leads brilliantly here, just as God knew that he would when he called him originally. Moses it says it's not even Moses speaking to Aaron and Aaron speaking to Moses. Moses is, is directly there, he is directly involved in these conversations with Pharaoh. And Moses says to Pharaoh, says, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs would be cut off. Be pleased to command me. That's, a, that's a, kind of an awkward way to say it, but, but basically he's, it, it would literally be, Pharaoh, glorify yourself over me, which is also an awkward way to say it. But Moses is saying, yeah, I want you to have the power here, Pharaoh. I want you to be pleased to be the greater one in this dialogue that we're about to have. I want you, Moses says, I want you to pick the time and the place that the removal of these frogs might happen. Because if if Moses were just to walk in and and to say the word and Aaron were to strike down his his staff and everything were were to be done in one exact moment, they might be able to say, Moses, this was a trick all along. You you planned this. You knew exactly what to do, and you knew how to... And and so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, he says, you're in charge. You tell me when you want this to happen. And Moses doesn't do this so that Pharaoh's name can be great. Moses doesn't do this so that Pharaoh can look good. In fact, he even tells us why he does it this way. He says, uh, He says in... I just lost it. See, in verse 10, he's, when, when Pharaoh says tomorrow, Moses says, all right, be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Moses says, this is what's gonna happen. You have chosen the time and place. It's gonna be tomorrow. And so we're gonna do it tomorrow. I want to eliminate all doubt that it's God's work. This is not about you, Pharaoh, but it's all about God. And so Moses, Moses takes up the role of priest for the people. And he cries out to the Lord about the frogs, it says in verse 12. Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs. He pleads with God to back up this promise that he has made to Pharaoh that the frogs might be removed tomorrow. He says, God, I I have made this agreement with Pharaoh. I have set this up with him so that your name would be seen as great. And so do as I have said that you would do and make your name great in the midst of this. He begs, he begs God to deliver them from the frogs, pleads with them for relief from the judgment. The Hebrews, I think, were also affected by these frogs we'll find out later in some other plagues that they're not but I think here they probably were and Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs and it says in verse 13 and the Lord did according to the word of Moses according to the promise that Moses had made with Pharaoh God did exactly that and all the frogs died they all croaked That's a good one. All the frogs died right in their spot. Wherever they were, they died. Think about that. Imagine that. All over the kingdom, in the ovens and in the kneading bowls and in the cupboards and in the beds and and in the bedrooms and where the frogs died. Right there in their spot, piles and piles of frogs in every home, in every cupboard, in every oven, in every kneading bowl. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment where the frogs are dead that there can be a couple of responses. Now, it could, it could have gone differently. We, we talked a couple of of weeks ago about the snake, when, when, when Aaron's snake turns, the other snakes come, Aaron's snake turns and swallows up the the snakes of the magicians, and remember, I, I, I said, I, I think this was not a normal snake bite, where it, you know, slowly just works one snake in, inch by inch by inch, but I think it was a gulp, swallowed up instantly, they were gone, I believe that's what happened, that's what happens, because he uses the same word, swallow, when, when we talk about the Red Sea, that the, the, the sea crashes onto Pharaoh's army later when we look at, at, at chapter 15 when Moses sings the song. I think it's an instant. And it could have been an instant here. God could have done that, right? He could, have, he could have, the frogs could have vanished or the frogs could have all decided to hop back into the water where they came from and then die when they get there. It could have happened instantaneously. But it doesn't happen that way. And I think it reminds us I think it reminds us that there is a difference between, between the moment and the process. There is a, a swallow. There is a moment where everything changes. There is a moment where, where God comes in and swallows up death. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. There is this moment where, where God rescues, where God redeems, where everything changes, where we move from death to life. There's a moment that that happens. And then there's a process. There's a moment here where the frogs die. The judgment is over. The plague has has concluded. No more frogs. No more frogs are coming out of the Nile. No more frogs are piling out of the ponds and the reservoirs. No more frogs are coming into Egypt. The judgment is over. But there's still a process to get rid of the frogs. And oftentimes, that's what happens in our lives as well. There's, there's, there's a couple of responses that the people could have had here. The first, one, the first one we see is that they begin to pile them up. I don't know how they did it. Shovels and wheelbarrows and wagons. They haul them all out to designated spots and begin to pile them up, it tells us. And they make heaps and heaps and heaps of frogs, and they stink. We can only imagine what that might be like. But there's this process where, where we have to deal, where we have to deal with our sin. There's this process where, where judgment has, has finally ended, the, the, the punishment has finally ended, but there's all of this Stuff scattered all over our lives and all throughout the kingdom. And we have to deal with it. And the cleanup, the cleanup from, from, from our sin is often difficult and the consequences that we have to deal with are often really, really stinky. But we have to dive into that process. There's a moment where we're saved, but there's a process of us becoming more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. There's a now and a not yet of it. Our eternal destiny has been figured out in the swallow, but there's work in the piling up. That's what most of the Egyptians I think do. They get out the shovels and they begin to pile up the dead frogs who have died all over the kingdom. But there's another response that we see here as well, which can also happen to us. Most of them begin to pile up and st- together in heaps and the land stinks. But in verse 15 it says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. We can begin by starting the hard work of dealing with the consequences of our sin or in that moment when the frogs are dead and they're all over the countryside, we can see it, we can feel the respite and we can turn and thumb our nose at God's grace and harden our heart. That's what Pharaoh does. God has provided a respite. The frogs aren't coming. They're dead. They're being collected by the servants and the Hebrew slaves, they're piling them up in heaps and heaps. And Pharaoh thumbs his nose at God. His heart becomes hardened and numb. And I think he turns his back and walks back into the palace and returns back to exactly where he was. As the worship team comes this morning, I don't know this morning for you what, what those frogs are for you in your life. I don't know what that sin is that that just begins to overwhelm and and, and, and invades every part of your life. But I can guess, because I know it's true for me. And I can guess it's true for you too, that there's some kind of of slimy and slippery and reoccurring sin that continues to hop into your life over and over and over, and you can even think about it right now. You you know you see it's you see its beady little eyes and you hear the ribbit of the frog that's in your life. Maybe it's a Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a frustration that keeps rearing itself up in you over and over. Or a fantasy that you replay in your mind over and over and over. Maybe for you it's a habit that you've convinced yourself really isn't that big a deal. Maybe it's something that you think is pretty well hidden. Nobody knows about it. But it's swarmed its way into every part of your life, into the deepest and darkest parts of your life where no one else can see. My hope this morning is that you won't take this opportunity to steal your soul away, to, to once again harden your heart and turn your back on your sin, as Pharaoh did on this day, but that you cry out in repentance to the one true God of all creation, not just for a momentary, a once momentary respite, but that we'll rejoice today in their eternal rescue and we'll start the hard work of digging out from underneath the weight and the stink of our sin. May God be glorified in us and may we know May we know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Please stand with me as we sing together.
1: Who has held the ocean? numbered every grain of sand. Kings and nations tremble at His voice. All creation rises to rejoice. a tour his throne come let us adore him behold our king nothing can compare come let us adore
0: in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you